to the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. This week's show is brought to you by Ranger Boats, still building legends one at a time. Now, here's your host, David Shong. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, brought to you by Ranger Boats. Powered by Mercury Marine with Rely on Lithium Batteries, providing the juice. I am David Shong, and back again for another week is Danny Lamford. Uh, welcome back, Danny. How was your holiday weekend? Oh, man, it was great. All good on my end, and, uh, you know, I'm excited for this evening. Um, looking forward to talking to Brian and hearing a little bit about his classic event and uh, his thoughts on the schedule ahead. You know, I was, did my research, and obviously Lake <laughs> Champlain's important for him and i see we're not too far away from there so i'm ready to get started when you are david let's talk fishing all right so as danny mentioned there we uh, today we welcome in the angler who uh at this year's classic making a strong run for the ray scott trophy uh and that's ranger mercury pro brian schmidt welcome to the podcast brian hey guys thank you for having me man so welcome bro- welcome yeah so Brian, we're gonna just dive right into it. You know, we're gonna dive into that last Bassmaster uh, Bassmaster event that you just fished, which was the Bassmaster Classic event there. Uh, you know, we we knew that you had a awesome finish there, but you know, throughout this tournament, just looking at where you stood after days one, two, and three, you were always looking at the shadows, just ready to pounce. Uh, what was your confidence level going into this event? So you know, it's so hard just to make it you know, okay, we made it, all the pressure's off, it doesn't matter how you finish, there's no points, but, you know, man, it's a rare opportunity to be there, so I I initially, you know, was like, hey, just a solid event, you know, anything maybe making the weekend would be good, but I had a pretty good practice, and it's a rare thing anymore to have a good practice, I don't know how to explain it, it's like always so hard to figure it out, but kind of clicked right away, Felt like there was a chance to have a pretty good tournament. And, you know, we <laughs> we gave it all we had. We come up just a little short, but my hat's off to Gusty, man. Well, you mentioned, you know, practice and everything going well for you. How, you know, again, if you look back at 2021, which is the last time the Elite Series was at this uh, venue, you finished 49th there. So how much of 2021 factored into your 2023 event? Huge amount. So that was my first time being there, and I barely made the weekend. I actually caught one fish the first day. I caught a nice limit the second day, which got me into the cut, and I caught one fish the third day. But leaving that event, I learned so much. I was actually hoping to go back there. It's the most, in my opinion, it's the most like a river out of the Tennessee River um system there you know the chain so i kind of felt like if we ever could get back there i could maybe do a little bit and it just set up for me for what i wanted to do with the conditions it was really really low and really really clear uh for most of the practice and i kind of gathered really quickly that the bigger fish the bigger largemouth might be staging a little bit more than tighter to the banks, even though some guys did catch them tight to the banks. I just felt like I needed something a little different. And um, big time being there two years earlier helped me tremendously. 
Hey, Brian, Danny Blanford here. And David probably smiled when you said river. He knew my ears perked up. I, I'm slowly taking on the role as a river rat. And I got to say, watching as a spectator, I didn't see the current. I didn't see it. It wasn't riverine in my mind. It kind of expand on that a little bit, because I think if you were watching at home and, and I, met, I don't know where we're at on the, the television aspect of the coverage, but watching on live, you just couldn't see it. I mean, was current was current there yep. or was it wind driven or, or what was going on and, and kind of break that down for us a little bit more. I'm, I'm a river junkie. So the, the top of Loudon, there's two rivers, the French Broad. And there's another river. I forget the name of it. Is that the Nolan Chucky that comes in? Could be. And they both meet. And the kind of the takeoff area where we took off from the very kind of top end of Loudon, it's skinny. I mean, it's a river. There's bona fide current. And then, you know, the TVA, they move current to generate power. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of current usually throughout that fishery, and it's not wide. I mean, it, it it's deceiving on you know on the internet or or a TV show, but it's a kind of a narrow, windy fishery, and there's very few backwaters, and even the backwaters are kind of narrow. So it's it might not look like it, but it's a river. I mean, it's a bona fide current. Current is the deal there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I guess you really hit on it without the back, without the backwaters and with those being narrow, it kind of tells you everything you need to know about the topography. I mean, you were in ditches basically. Big ones, yes, sir. ditches. So how did that, I mean, so, yep. so did you kind of relate that to your experience on the Potomac? Is that, is that what made it feel like home? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I try to simplify things that I, I'm not good at, you know, if there's, too much to, to, to figure out. Like, you know, uh, I want to know a fish is a fish and this is why he's doing what he's doing. And when the water's down, I believe they are out. When the water's up, they're up. If it's mm-hmm. in between, they can take their way. And with it being so clear and down, I'm like, hey, this is low tide on the Potomac. They're just sitting back just a little bit, not far. They're not out there in 20, 30 foot, but just a little bit. And then you take in the fact that the water's so low, anything obvious on mapping, any last little deeper run-in that hits up, you know, the deepest last channel swing in every creek, a couple docks that have water in every cove, they are going to get hit so much by the competitors because it's a small fishery. Right. So I knew I didn't want to be part of that. It just, it worked out that I had a few bites early doing what I was doing to give me the confidence to stick with it for a lot of practice. And I needed to find a lot of it. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have one glory hold. Like I needed everything that I found and some, you know, so it was, that's how I tried to simplify it. Now, if the water was dirty, I don't know what I would have done, you know, but mm-hmm. it was very clear. They are very comfortable being in four to eight foot of water, even deeper a little bit too. So, so as far the as deal. the cover, were it like flats, flats or the first pieces of wood out off the bank? Is that what I'm kind of understanding? The yeah, that little exactly area right. between the channel and the bank, right? 
Exactly right. Okay, so that makes sense to me as a river guy. That's what happens here. When the water falls, you always start at the first piece of wood out off the bank and work your way out. So that makes sense to me. But you were doing it with a little worm, right? Clear water and a little worm? I didn't want to play around. I, I wanted to throw a baitcaster, believe me. I wanted to boat flip fish and all that. I did not want to play around. What I mean by that is I wanted to present something that if there was a fish there, the chances of it biting my presentation were way higher than anything else to be more proficient in my day. To, to you know, the least amount of time it took me to get a bite okay i can move on move on move on and i felt like they would bite that big time it's just something i do at home when it's a little cold pre-spawn you know early early pre-spawn they they just it's hard to beat it just a small worm and the missile magic mini worm is a bad little boy they're just not gonna you you know how it is it you could throw a jig in there maybe Five out of the ten would bite it, but the the shaky head with the small worm—they're all gonna bite it, right? You know. Okay, did I did I lose a few fish because of the equipment? Yes. The first day, it, it cost me four tremendous bites, but did I get four more bites throughout the event because of it? I guarantee I did. Dude, I love that analogy. We talk about that up here a lot when certain techniques or certain tactics and you know you're going to lose a few but to your point if you're getting more bites than you would have gotten otherwise you can still tilt the odds in your favor so that that resonates real strong with me on that part for sure and david i apologize you're the best play-by-play guy we got and and i hijacked it to, to, to pick his brain about rivers again so look i know you i know you've prepared I just wanted to try to steal a nugget. You know me, man. I'm always trying to steal that nugget for the river rat. So um, thank you, Brian. That helps me a lot. And I think that was an awesome explanation of what you were looking for, man. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just a weird week, man. I, there's weird in a good way. Excuse me. Like there's, there's things that happen. Okay. The hotel that we're all staying in next door in Knoxville, Tennessee, there's a seafood restaurant that's, has all it's called the Chesapeake and where I live in Maryland, I live on the Chesapeake Bay mm-hmm. and they, everything on the menu in there is Maryland, this Maryland, that it was like, it was this weird, good feeling. Like, I, you know what I mean? You start to yeah. try to make it bigger than it is, you know, like all this stuff means something. It probably doesn't, but they put me in a good place. Dude, I totally get that. I've got some of my own little omens and things that, I like to see on the water that give me confidence and you don't even really know where it's coming from, right? Like in my case, bald eagle sightings while I'm fishing have always led to a good catch. And I was talking with a friend about that the other day. And so, you know, I don't know if it really works that way, but if I start thinking I'm going to catch a big one after I seen one, I think I'm more inclined to catch a big one. And it sounds like you had some of that good mojo going your way. that makes me feel a little better, man. Sorry, David, I did it again. I, <laughs> no worries. I, I found a superstitious angler, and he tells me that the cards were were coming his way, and I think that's awesome because isn't that the key to winning, man? I mean, you got to have it, right? You got to have it. Even just the confidence. Everything's feeling good. You feel good. That's a big deal, man. All right. So we, uh, you, you mentioned practice was good. Um, you felt good about practice and everything. So tell us how day one went. How did the fishing go for you on day one? 
Okay, so here we go. Day one, we're finally going to fish a lot of this stuff I marked because I stopped fishing most of it pretty early in practice. So now we're really going to learn what we got. And I'll be honest, the first five to ten spots I stopped on were not producing. Now, there was an afternoon bite that I didn't realize even existed until the first day of the tournament. After the first day, I was like, okay, I see what's going on. So start off slow. <clears throat> I started hitting some stuff out in 10 foot, 11 foot, not getting bites, moved a little shallower, started getting bit, um, put together a decent little limit. Then I caught a four pounder. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, that's a, that's a big fish for that fishery. So here now this is very good information for myself because i hadn't seen a fish like that all week there are big ones using this stuff and man then i lost a giant then i caught a three pounder and i lost a really big one and just kept piecing it together and at the end of the day i caught my biggest one was like a four and a half and got to weigh in and you know finished finished the day in third, but knew like, wow, I had a shot at a huge bag and there, there's a chance here. Now I, I was blown away that Gussie was able to do the smallmouth thing again. Cause we all thought that couldn't happen two events in a, you know, two times in a row. So I knew my work was cut out for me, but excited to say the least, you know, so felt good going into day two. Was that was that day one weight what you were expecting based on what you saw in practice or was it a little bit better than no. yours? Okay. Better, better. So the bites I had in practice were nice keepers, two pound, two and a half pounders. But like I said, man, I didn't catch many. I I knew from being there before that this isn't a place that has a ton of fish. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do myself any disservice by catching them. Like, you know, there's no award for practice. So, <laughs> like, I shook some off. And then, I honestly, I didn't even – if something looked right, I didn't even fish it until the practice tournament. So, day one, did you get all – like, I guess, was it a good bite day? Or how many bites total did you get on day one? Because it sounded like – Oh, uh, man. I had a bunch of bites. I, I probably had 20 bites south. Okay. Ten or so were under undersized, under fourteen in. You go you're gonna catch some little ones. You know. But uh I had enough bites that I knew that as tough and then especially after I saw the weigh in, I'm like, Woof, she is very tough. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was on something special because, you know, I hadn't even touched half of the stuff I found. Mm-hmm. So I got to jump. I got to jump ahead of David's play-by-play because I, I hear about some key losses. Would they have made the difference? I mean, ultimately, we're going to get to that part, Brian. You know, we got to talk about it. But would they have made the difference on day one? I'll tell you like this, man. I, I, I'm not trying to build anything up. I've been fortunate to win some tournaments. I, I, I believe that gives me a little credibility when I say this. I had a chance the first day at a humongous limit, like 22 pound limit wow. of largemouth, mm. and it it was so hurtful, but it was so like 
oh my goodness, this is special what you figured out. Right. And you still had three days to fish at that point. Right. So, and, and you were yeah. saying, no, I get it. I get it. But man, I, I just, ah, this is oh, going to be man, a tough I'm telling you, I, I had a, the first day I had a four and a half, a four, a three and two small ones. I weighed in 16, one. I promise you on everything I own, I lost two and a five pound each that mm. I saw. And it's just unfortunate, but it was the, it was the give and take, you know, we talk about the light line, mm-hmm. but, uh, day two, okay. day three, I fish clean. Okay. Okay. Right. Day two, some, we had some rain in the evening, some mud moved around and took away a couple of my key stretches from day one. And it took me a long time to get going. But in the afternoon, I put it together again. You know, so that's another variable, you know, we all had to deal with is that current moves the dirty water around quickly. And right, uh, right. it can also clean it quickly, too. So. So, well, that, yeah, that yeah. gets you into your day two questions, David. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, so yeah day, day two, um, weights, you know, I guess compared to day one. You still have pretty good, pretty good back thirteen twelve, pretty solid for the for the Tennessee River, but a little bit lower, probably lower than what you wanted for day two. But how did you feel about day two's fishing in general? I mean, you mentioned that you know some of the some of the weather coming through, changing things up. But how did day two play out in your mind, and, uh, and did it mess with your confidence anyway? It did, and I had a weird just sense of calmness the whole week, and I just kept telling myself you're gonna make it happen and i pulled it together late in the day and listen i stumbled onto a whole new area near my main area that i just i'll be honest i started idling for an hour late in the day day two and i found all this stuff i was so excited to fish i fished two pieces of it and i caught probably 10 bass off of each one so excited for day three kind of on this high of like man i got some new water i'm really going to do something tomorrow and when i got there day three it was destroyed mm-hmm. by mud and i was just devastated i bet I you bet. know so day three so it was up and down go ahead sorry go ahead sorry about that it was just a up and down kind of emotional roller coaster man like I would be so, you know, it would be so tough on me for so long, and then it would just come together, and then, you know, you would almost forget about the slow times, you know, and then, but every day was different, and that's, I, I really think that's because it's a river, the current changes and all that, like, it's never the same. Totally agree with that one. That that's the thing that's always blown me away. It's like they can just pack up, pack up shop and leave, you know. And it's like, man, yesterday you loved it here, and today you're a mile away. Crazy. Yep. So day two wraps up. You know, it seems like Gussie's running away with this event. And so after that weigh-in on day two, did did you feel that you were fishing for second place with pretty much everyone out being that you, uh, you and Cox were just, you know, about six pounds, just under six pounds behind Gussie. Did you guys feel that it was pretty much out of reach or did you still have the confidence that getting the win was still doable with what you found? 100%. 
we can't watch any footage. We can't get any information in our minds. John Cox, myself, Drew Ben, Scott Canterbury, we're all thinking, Dusty's catching these smallmouth in 10 minutes, and he's coming back. To, like, we think he's had it so easy. Okay? So in our minds, we're like, dude, he's going to be back here at 10 o'clock having lunch, waiting to collect this classic trophy. We felt like we were fishing for second. Now, with that being said, I told myself, I said, man, there's going to be a lot of pressure tomorrow. Okay, this, this, isn't, this is a big event. There's a lot of people watching. There's pressure. Pressure makes people do crazy things. There's always a chance. And then because of the almighty current, what if something changes with the current? So I'm like, there's a chance because that fishery can actually leave you high and dry so quick. You know, it's, it's so hard. It, it, and you can see by the, the weights, you know, excellent anglers couldn't even get a limit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a chance. Now, another thing that happened, a good friend of mine called me that night before day three. He's like, dude, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, man, just remember, bro, second place would look a lot better than, than 15th. Cause mm-hmm. like you almost want to take this huge chance, right? Like you almost want to say, I got to go try something crazy. But I decided that I'm going to do what I've been doing. I'm just going to, Gussie's going to have to catch a few fish. You know, that's, that was where I was at. And it, I, Hey, it was a blessing. I didn't have a lot of attention. You know, I could move around freely. It was a nice, easy day for me. Cause I, you know, everybody's watching Gussie. Mm-hmm. You, you, you said you're talking about no one really following you as much, just this is a bit out of, out of sequence, but did you have a lot of your spots to yourself or, you know, or, or pretty much, you know, or was it a lot of shared water? Cause it seems like a lot of guys, depending where you fish were, there was a lot of, you know, uh, I guess you could see, I'm not sure if there are community holes, but a lot of guys congregating on each other. So I'll tell you, man, I'll be honest. Anything I threw at the entire week, I was the only one that threw at that. That was my, probably my key. Uh, anything I had, I had to myself, and that's a blessing. You know? Yeah, on, on, on a tough body of water, on a tough bite, I mean, that's that's why you won the largemouth tournament, I would say. You got to... 100%. You got to plan your work and work your plan unencumbered, man, and that's rare. So, that's awesome. So, Brian, you, you know, so in the end, day three, you barely, you know, you take second place, you come just a pound and nine ounces short of the win. What were some takeaways for you from this event? That's the thing, man. You know, that's a good question because that's what I reflected on the whole way home, you know, the next day. And here's where I'm at. In my mind, as a fisherman and in my heart, I said, Brian, you found fish to damn near win this thing. And if a few things go your way, you might have won it. You can win one of these tournaments. And that's that made me feel good knowing that in my heart. Nothing against Gussie. He won. 
fair and square he did his job. But I know in my heart I could win one. And I also feel like I made a little, you know, a little better namesake for myself, you know, by finishing second, you know, rather than a 10th or something, you know, like, Hey, you guys are talking to me right now. You know what I mean? So I feel like that was all good. That's what I'm taking away from is good things. Yeah. I mean, that, that's it right there. And, and Brian, before we, before we reached out to you, yeah, I consider John to be a friend of mine there at Missile, and I, I had I was on the phone with John for something else. And prior to reaching out, I, I just asked him. I said, "Dude, is is Brian in a good headspace to talk about this? Because I think somebody with less uh, of the PMA, right? We hear that in fishing about the positive mental attitude. I think somebody with less PMA could have been, you know, kind of dejected and devastated. And and John, dude, without a hesitation, he's like, no." Brian stopped by the stopped by missile baits on the way home and dude, it was validation for him and he's fired up. And I think that that's gotta be a testament to you. Um, I think so many people that aspire to be on that stage, it's all or nothing. Right. And, and if you don't get the win, man, I'd have a hard time not coming home dejected, but I totally get your point about validation because you've shown now you've got wins. Uh, you're on that stage with those guys. You won the loudmouth tournament. Um, how do you think that's going to change you going forward, man? It sounds like it really solidified your own self in your mind. It, it, I, I lo- another level of confidence, trust in myself, and maybe more hunger, man. Like that, that stage, that instance, that that freaking hour before I weigh in, the final day of the classic with a chance to win it is now like all you want to do so the only way to get there is too good in the leap so i'm hoping it transitions to you know hunger man you know just wanting to get back dude you had a look in your eye there was a sound bite uh, on stage when you looked over at that trophy and you said dude i want that trophy and i do want that man that that look and that statement resonated, I think, across all platforms. For anybody that gets what we do, when you said, dude, I want that trophy, I felt like, dude, he wants that trophy. That was strong. And I just think that's awesome, man. Congratulations on turning it into a positive and, and rolling forward. I know David's kind of been looking at the schedule, and obviously there's a few things on there that look juicy to you, right? You got to repeat at Champlain. Um, but I got I to ask, because we talked about this Sabine last week, too. You say you're a river guy. Uh, are you a, a Sabine River lover or not that kind of river? Hear me out. Um, <laughs> that is my number one target this year. Really? That is my number one. Yes, sir. So, okay, I went there two years ago. Never been there in my life. Okay, I love rivers. I'm going to do good here. And I made some gambles, and they didn't work. But last hour of the day, day two, man, I was like, okay, I see what's going on. And just my pride of rivers, not doing good there before, I prayed to go back, even though it's horrible. It's a horrible fishery. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to get back there. So that, I put a lot of time in on researching and studying Google Maps. I'm... That's the one, man. So they're all they all gotta be the one, but that's the one one. Like I I want 
to do good there. Well, I, if you had had me fill out this questionnaire before, I would have been wrong because I would have thought you were eyeballing champagne and licking your chop. Oh, that's cool, man. I oh, mean, I by guess- far, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we love champagne. I love it more than anything, <laughs> but I got a vendetta. I got a vendetta with the, the Sabine, man. <laughs> that's cool, dude. I love the way you fish. I love the hunger there. That's awesome. And that's yep, also, yep. and David, just for the record, that is two <laughs> weeks in a row where we've talked to guys that said, I want the Sabine. So I, it's starting to make me feel oh. like I'm not a pariah. I, being a river rat and a small fish guy, uh, there's other people out there because you guys love the challenge, and that's cool. Well, before we get to the Sabine, <laughs> Murray's next because it's, it's like within a week or so from t- for as we record a over a week practice or something next week for you guys. Uh, what's your thoughts on Murray and will it fall into Brian Schmidt's wheelhouse this week or, or next week? Um, yeah, so, dude, we're getting ready to fish two really good events in South Carolina that are on fire, two fisheries that are on fire. Did I grow up doing the herring thing? No. But I've been around long enough now, man. I kind of understand things, you know, and every event, you got to catch them. You know, it doesn't matter if, you know, it has grass or not. This fishery, I believe, presents a guy opportunity to fish his strengths if he chooses. But I'm going to show up with open mind, man. Okay. I'm, I'm rigged up for everything, and I'm going to let the fish tell me. There's probably a place for a little four-inch worm there too, right? No doubt. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's rigged up. <laughs> I bet. I bet so. Well, with you mentioned there's two events back-to-back. So after Murray, it's Sandy Cooper. Last year, it took 100 pounds to win it. Is that going to happen again this year? It's a little bit later than last year, but is it going to take over 100 pounds to win a Santee? I believe it could. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I believe it could be a couple guys that do it because, man, you're when we hit Santee, I believe we're going to be in a full-blown early post-spawn, shad spawn, mm-hmm. just feeding frenzy. Like, they're going to be ganged up, and – there is going to be a few guys that catch 33, 34, 35 pounds the first morning. And, man, that, that gets you to 100 real quick. You know, you back that up with a couple 20s. and So these two events, man, are going to be very incredible weights, especially Santee. Murray, Murray is too. I mean, dude, there's going to be 26, 27-pound bags at Murray. Okay. So do you think two, so do you think two events possibly – uh, where guys are going to break the century mark then probably. Murray, it would be hard. It could okay. happen. Okay. But Santee for sure, there's a very good chance. Talk a little bit about coming out of Maryland. I'm looking at these back-to-backs and you got a couple weeks off and you're down at uh, Lay Lake, a couple more weeks back down to Sabine. How many, are you going to hit the road and stay gone for a while? Or are you doing two and heading back, doing some of your charter fishing or what do you got going on? Yeah, so 100%, man, I'll be back. I I usually don't stay. Um, the minute it's done, I usually head home, family, and 
and the charter boats. So we start, we open up May 1st and it's going to be, you know, full blown, you know, charter season. So the minute I'm done at Santee, I'll head home and work the charter boat for a week. And then I'll leave and head to lay. And the minute lay's done, I'll come home and work and then so forth all the way through the summer. You know, we're, I, uh, Got some friends from your area. Uh, we're going to be adding some travel stuff over on anglerschannel.com from Pete and Hannah Robbins. You probably know them being from the Northeast there. And uh, I was talking with Pete the other day and he talked about how important it is for bass fishermen to do other stuff or how much, I should say, not so much how important it is for their skill, but how much bass fishermen love to fish for other things. Did your time on the saltwater help prepare you? Is there some parallels there that made you a better angler? Um, tell me a little bit about that part of it. I, I would say a hundred percent. So every day you got to produce, you know, you want to keep clients happy. You got to produce, you know, you can show them a good time, but you got to catch the fish. So the mother nature. So every day, what's the weather doing? What's the tide doing? What's so these, all these things keep me sharp. It's mm -hmm. every day I wake up just about almost 300 days a year. I'm, I'm fighting against, you know, mother nature and it keeps me sharp. 100%. We use different techniques, but at the end of the day, what information is mother nature giving you for you to produce the fish? You know, that's, that keeps you going. Well, just check off another box of newfound respect. I never <laughs> thought about having to get up and catch them 300 days a year, dude. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> dude, <laughs> it, it, it's a lot man like that's a lot between what you do professionally you know for for the saltwater aspect and what you're doing on tour i don't know that I, it, I don't know that that'd be fun for me i don't think i could handle catching them 300 days a year i think i'd break down so congratulations on that you grinders gotta grind gotta right that's what, that's what we gotta do grinders gotta grind uh-huh huh, huh. What about you, David? 300 days a year, is that in your wheelhouse? Uh, I tell you, people that, you know, don't, was it, that hear that I like fishing, ask me why, but why don't I become a guide? I'm like, no, that's not fun for me. <laughs> not that, <laughs> nothing against the guy. It's not, that's not how I built. I know I'm not built as a tournament angler, like uh, doing this whole traveling and being gone for seven, eight months of the year and all this traveling. I know I'm not wired that way. So, so it's fun fishing and that, that type of stuff, different story. But I know that with that 300 uh, days that Brian's gone for, a lot of it's, you know, uh, you know, livelihood based stuff like that. So I'm not wired that way. I, could, I don't think I could do it, especially with me. Cause yeah, obviously uh, we got snow up here. So part of it would probably involve uh, ice fishing. So no, I, I wouldn't want to do that. So. <laughs> So Brian, you hit on something there at 300 days, man, you've got to have a fishing family, right? So you want to give a shout out to them because I'm going to have to guess that they've got to be one of your biggest support tools. Big, big time. Yes, sir. Got some kids at home to come see you when you get back. Yep. Yep. I got a nine-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter, man. Ooh. Oh my gosh. You got your hands full. <laughs> hands full. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. So no, it's really cool. So young ones at home, a, a thriving charter business, a runner up in the classic and looking at the schedule, looking at his chops, David, how about that? Well, speaking he, of looking at his chops, Brian, what was it? You've, you've lifted a trophy the last two years on tour on the elite series here. So with, I mean, you mentioned Sabine, you mentioned uh, definitely Champlain. It's probably one of you, you got 
on on your uh, list there. But if I had to pick, oh, if Brian had to pick, uh, uh, which of the remaining events that is going to be the most likely that you're going to lift another blue trophy at? Which one would it be? It, it would either likelihood, likelihood, it could be Sabine, Santee, or Champlain. <laughs> if, if it's going to happen, if it's okay. going to happen, okay? You know, it's a miracle's got to happen. But Lay Lake, I've never been. Murray, I don't have a ton of experience. Like I said, you know, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do my job. You know, St. Clair, I've been there a little bit. Thousand Islands, I've been there a little bit. But Champlain, Sabine, or Santee. Okay. That's three of six remaining. That's a chance. <laughs> so that's good. That's worth putting that time in. I like it. All right. And the last question, I guess, before uh, we let you go here, just out of curiosity, because as a fan of the sport, uh, especially when you watch the classic, one of my favorite parts is when they do the Super Six, bringing out the Super Six anglers. And this year, you got to be part of that. Um, I mean, I, I can only imagine because I don't think I will ever come close to the closest I'll probably ever come uh, to being on a classic stage is just being there doing work related type stuff. So how did it feel, though, being one of those guys that was in contention and being part of that whole that whole Super Six, uh, you know, show that that little um, that, that 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 piece they do every year? That that is when you really know how bad you want to do that again. That's the only way I could say that, dude. Like, seeing it on TV, it's awesome. But being part of that, you're like, dude, this is big. Like, mm-hmm. this, what's going on right now is huge. And, like, it really hits you right there. So that that's, like, all I could say is that made me want to be part of that again. Did you have this? Did you have this passion from the beginning? Like as a saltwater guy and a charter guy, I grew up with Bassmaster magazines and have dreamed about it since I could dream. Was it the same for you, or did you find it later in life? One hundred percent. This has been a a lifetime of wanting to do this, man. You know, that's awesome hearing that. And so to start with a childhood dream and, and to be there and to come home and be hungrier than when you went the first time, that's fantastic. Yes, there's, sir. Something, there's something about it, man. There's something about that magazine and what it does to little boys. There's certain ones that I think are predispositioned to, to getting hooked real, real bad. They get gut hooked, so to speak. <laughs> and you were one of them. I was too. So kindred spirits, man. Appreciate you joining us today. Well, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for David. Yeah, I think we we got potential talk to him three more times this year, so we're gonna have to get some filler <laughs> material. We're gonna start asking favorite foods and, and asking about pets. Ooh. Is it yeah, a crab thanks. cake? Just so I know, is it a crab cake or a lobster roll? Hey, crab cakes. Those blue crabs. My own heart again, man. There it is. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Brian, for joining us. I know that, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you got Murray on the mind. So definitely safe travels to South Carolina because it'll be a busy two weeks for you. And thanks again for joining us and safe travels. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, thanks, Brian. Congratulations on a great start. Hope to talk to you again this year, bud. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right, there you have it, Danny. You know, two-time Elite Series winner and the guy who gave Gussie a good go at that classic trophy. So, you know, again, it seems like, again, another guy that he seemed to, I don't know what's up with these guys in Rivers, but, you know, what, what's your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would love to, to pontificate on it and give you a bunch of BS, but I don't think it's about the Rivers. I, the thing, the, the common thing that I remember from our last two interviews, and I would say with Gussie, too, the last three, it's that, it, man, it, it's like I said, it's like they were gut hooked at a childhood age, mm-hmm. right? Like they took it so deep that there were no other options. Yeah. And I don't know that a river matters as much as the drive, right? And so when we talk about rivers, we talk about current. I would say that our last three guests have an internal current in them mm-hmm. that flows continuously. And it's willpower, man. I mean, I heard it in, in Brian and we, we heard it last week and we heard it in Gussie. It's, it's, it's just... I don't think there was a plan B and that's a dangerous man. When there's no plan B, that guy's dangerous. <laughs> right. And I, I just, man, I've loved the last three events or the last three calls that we've done with these guys, because there's just this passion that translates. And, um, you know, if I had to put a finger on it, I do think that some of the river stuff that you get a mentality of needing to grind mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you have grinder tournaments, right? I mean, it's not going to be Santee and Murray, those aren't going to be grinds. Those are going to be absolute whack fest. You know, they're going to be mm-hmm. catching them. Um, so we may not see somebody like that rise to the top there, but when it gets tough, that's where the mental factor kicks in. And and I think our last three guys, they just, you know, mentally they were prepared to to do it. And I don't know. I think it's, I think it's super cool. Yeah. It, uh, like I kind of joked uh, uh, during uh, the conversation there, it takes a different breed. I mean, not just some guy, you will talk to a whole bunch of guys uh, or people in general that say, I love fishing, but uh, the, the type of love that these guys have are probably like leaps and bounds beyond anything that a lot of us can even fathom. Because you talk about Gussie, he, he probably has the longest commute. So, you know, uh, that's a lot of time on the road that, that he's, you know, to, just to commit to, to doing the, just this part, you know, just this professional right. angling part. And then, um, but Tyler last week, you know, he's a young guy, but, you know, for him to, to devote, you know, with, with college and all that stuff to a good amount of his young uh, career in life, uh, to making this dream come true. And then with, with, uh, with Brian here, you know, again, we talk about 300 days, you know, besides, mm-hmm. besides the professional part, he's back at home, you know, when he's not uh, preparing for the next event, he's grinding out on the water, you know, in the elements, you know, trying to make, you know, trying to make moments happen for other people as well. So uh, it takes a different breed of a person to, uh, to really make this dream come true and, and to make it work. Cause we know it's a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of time away from family, things that a lot of us would probably uh, make, that will make us quit you know, if we had to uh, pick and choose on how to make this life happen. So, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And I'm sure every state has anglers where I know we do around here. There's some guys where you look at them and you think there's no doubt he is talented enough at, you know, unlocking a body of water at catching yep. at those kinds of things. I I'm surrounded by anglers that are talented enough to do that. And, yep. you know, Kenneth isn't with us tonight, but obviously Alabama and some of these States it's everywhere, but, being able to catch them is one thing, being able to catch them and travel and market and maintain and do all those other things. Yep. It's definitely a different breed. It, it's got to be a, a passion driven thing. And, and you mentioned Gussie and his drive and, and Tyler and his collegiate grind. I bet you, if you asked either one of those guys or Brian and, and his hustle, they wouldn't yep. trade it for the world. So nope. for them, the things we look at as obstacles, they're just, 
I don't even think it registers because yeah. they're so focused on the stuff down the road, right? The competition, yeah. the fish, hosting that blue trophy. Um, the thing I'm starting to learn as I keep joining you on these on these podcasts, David, is these guys just they got a set of balls, man, and they'll do it. <laughs> and and you know, pardon my French, but courage, kahunes, whatever you want to call it. Um, the one thing that's been clear is that they want it bad enough to assume the risks and and let the chips yeah. fall where they may because it's just what they meant were meant to do and and yeah. man that's inspirational to me it makes me wish i had a bigger pair and and <laughs> and could do that but i'm like you i got to take the safe play and 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 earn checks this way versus with a vision pole for sure and you know we you know like with any with any angler we Hopefully, as you progress as an angler, you start to identify your strengths, what you like to fish and don't fish. It's one of those things. You start to identify how you click as an angler, uh, not just the fishing part, but, you know, again, what we can and can't do and what we're willing to give up, you know, personal life-wise, professionally, all that stuff to make certain things happen. So, you know, I, like I said, do I, do, I, do I love the fishing part? Yeah. Do I, do I envy the time away, you know, that those guys have to deal with? No, I don't. Because, you know, those are things where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can. I'm not wired that way. And. And so I give those guys a lot of credit for being able to do, um, like I said, whether it's the driving to the, the like you mentioned, all, you know, dealing with those podcasts or interviewers after each event. stuff like there's a lot of stuff that these guys have to have to give up besides just going out there and fishing. So, yeah. Well, and separate from that, you have to do those things well, right? I mean, yep. Brian came on the show and, and he did an excellent job representing himself, telling us what he did, carrying himself well, sharing some personal things. And you know, who knows? He, he may have just got done with a charter boat or be thinking about tomorrow's <laughs> ride or, or whatever yeah. it is, but it, yeah. it didn't, it didn't seep into what we were doing. Right. He was here yeah. and present yeah. and uh, you know, uh, props to him on a great interview and a, and a great story, man. I think it was, I think it was cool. And, and they are definitely a different breed than you or I, yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, we call them professionals. Right. And that's what they yeah. exhibit is professionalism at everyone. And that was cool to see. Uh, I enjoyed that. All right, so with that, we're going to wrap up this segment of the show, and then Danny and I will return for a after a word from our partners here. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop, convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, and lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmanswarehouse.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse. Shop one of over 60 locations. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man. Join the Stray King team. All you got to do, tie one on. <laughs> I think I always tie one on. From dawn to midday to dusk, the sun's rays dance across the water and the sparkling light beckons. The abundant shorelines invite you to play or sail or simply behold. This is where champions fish and families gather to unwind. It's Lake Hartwell and Anderson is the gateway to its wonders. Walk on a pier, float all day, and restore your soul in this beautiful oasis. Visit Anderson, South Carolina's bright spot. Discover more at visitanderson.com and visit lakehartwell.com. 
Welcome to this segment of the show brought to you by Lose Rods and Reels. Make sure you take advantage of the awesome promotion on all custom and custom pro model baitcasts and spinning reels by saving 25% using the code MAD25, that's M-A-D-2-5. It is the perfect time to revamp your collection of reels, so what are you waiting for? Go to lose.com before it's too late. And so first up, as usual, we've got a few results from this past weekend here. And hopefully I don't butcher these up too bad here. But first up on my list here is the ABA D72 Georgia Central Division. Those anglers were fishing Lake Okani this past weekend and winning that event with 1874 was David Lowry. The Coosa River Team Trail guys were on Neely Henry, and winning that was the team of Zeke Ezekiel and Eddie Jackson with 22.51. The Fishers of Men Florida Central Anglers were fishing on the Harris Chain, and with 23.20, sorry, 23.21, the team of Billy Taylor and William McDevitt took the win there. The Couples Association for Sport Tournaments North Region were fishing on Texoma. And with 1693, the team of Dylan and Leslie Peck won that with a big bass of 607. And then the last event I've got on the list here was the Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour event that wrapped up on Lake Murray. And winning that event was the home field guy, Anthony Gagliardi. He won that with a two-day wait. So that's his knockout total and the championship uh, championship day of uh, total with a total of 47 pounds and 12 ounces. Uh, just quick question for you. Were you a bit surprised that the hometown favorite took the win there on that particular event? And I know how tough it is to win at home. So I'd like to say, yeah, I'm surprised, but uh, I was digesting some stats earlier. And I think that's $800,000 he's won on Lake Murray. Think about that for a minute. At least on the top tier level, right? Because you're talking. Yeah, about- yeah, no, I'm not talking. Yeah, yeah. I'm so- talking top tier only. That, that's a, <laughs> I think that's a 500, a 200, and a 100 or something. Yeah. But I mean, $800,000 on a body of water. That's yeah. that's mind-boggling to me, and obviously part of that is the right tournaments at the right time and, and yeah. doing well with them. But um, man, it'd be hard to argue that anybody's got it dialed any better over there for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's again the format change. I'm not sure if the format change would have played any. You know, if, if it would have been the old format, if that would have worked against them or maybe it might even work even better for them if if it was one of those or if he, uh, you know, I never fished Murray. I know it's a blueback. Uh, a lot was determined. Well. It is a blueback. Like I'm not sure how strong the bite is when it comes to just being strongly blueback, but um, you know, it could be one of those things where again, if he's if he is that dialed to that particular lake, and very rarely do you ever see uh, that happen. Besides on a, on the local level, where it's a one day, maybe a two day mm-hmm. event where the the local guys that have that that intimate knowledge may definitely take advantage of it. But I mean, this event played all out over six days total you know from start to finish so uh and it got hammered by the by 80 of the best anglers in the country anyways but for him to still come up on uh, on top especially when they count in most because uh their weights got zeroed after qualifying for the knockout round so uh, i'm not sure if that would help them or not but uh again you know uh it's still something that's hard to do is to win especially on, on that top level um on a well i guess you could say on a home field advantage type of situation well, and I think you hit on something there, too, that I'm starting to kind of wrap my head around as I watch the MLF format more. When you think about four or five days of competition on a body of water, and, and you hit on it, you know, not it's not just anybody, right? This isn't, this isn't Tom, Dick, and Harry from, you know, just down the street. These are some of the best. Yeah. And to see that kind of pressure and to get some momentum 
and then to have to start to zero and then climb back and finish on top. You know, I'll give them this. The format is intriguing and it's definitely one of the more complex ones in terms of how you would strategize for that as an angler. Right. And so um, you look at in Anthony's case of all the different events and formats that he's won under and it kind of makes you wonder if it matters. Right. If, If you've got it, you've got it. And he's shown that in a couple of different ways. And, you know, I think to your point. Uh, if every fish counted, he might've been even more dangerous because he probably had more places to go to get some kind of scorable bass. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I said in one of the pieces that I digested today, they asked him if he just maybe should move to a new lake and, and, uh, start a new trend. And (laughs) and I think the the takeaway was he'd feel bad leaving, uh, leaving Lake Murray. Right. Because it's been pretty good to him. Well, so yeah, like you mentioned, he's made so much money on it. Why would he bother leaving? <laughs> so, <laughs> made, enough, made enough money he could get a vacation house somewhere if he wanted to, though. So that's good. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, definitely good to see that you know he won. And I know that you know, not that he struggled or anything like that, but he's I think one of the like a lot of the guys that made that switch over once the split happened. Uh, I think you know, again, me just this is me observing from from afar but i think one of the guys that kind of got lost in the shuffle when it came to where his reputation was uh well with the flw yeah. tour and then obviously things you know a lot of anglers and a lot of anglers that uh household names uh fall into this category but uh, uh definitely good to see that you know he um you know uh was able to capitalize on this and hopefully uh we'll see if that it's a turn of how things are going to play out for him on the uh on the bass pro tour side so yeah you bring up a great point i mean you know essentially the deck got reshuffled on everybody that did that right yep. and so you know they say the cream always rises to the top and after a couple of years of transition and things bouncing back and forth we're starting to see it again right yep. and and i think he showed that at home and congratulations on a great win hopefully we can talk to him about it at some point and uh asking yeah. some of these questions right because I don't know. You're our stats guy, but I would think I would think 800,000 on a particular body of water has got to be way up there unless you get into, you know, the old Ranger M1 Millennial Tournament and some of that stuff that paid more. Yeah. Right. Somebody may have a bigger number, but in terms of uh, aggregate multiple win type stuff, I would venture to say that Gagliardi and that lake have got to be in the top three or four. Yeah. Uh, just based on gut, I could be wrong, but it's got to be way up there. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you talked about the local guys and you could win everything every day for a lifetime as a local angler and not get to 800,000. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, props to him. I hope we get to talk about it sometime soon. Yeah, we'll see. We'll tap. I'll definitely. We'll see if, if we can make something line up. I, I haven't checked the Bass Pro Tour schedule. No, I'm, not, I'm not putting you on the oh, spot. No, no. I'm just saying. No. I'm just saying. There, yeah, there, there's no, a great storyline there, David. We need to talk about that 800 grand at some point. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely see how. The, yeah, what is that? Uh, you know, those are plans that we'll see how things, you know, play out. Because I, I know that the elites will be on. Won't be. You know, normally we don't try. We try not to schedule. Uh, anglers when they're fishing so uh but yeah if things line up we'll definitely see if we can get anthony on next week just to kind of talk about um his this whole transition and this big win that he had recently here hey so. i think you'll be safe i bet he doesn't profess a love for rivers <laughs> hey, who knows who knows <laughs> <laughs> if you, uh, i'll have to do a lot of deep digging in the next week to see if i can find any anything to talk about Anthony and Rivers with, you know, there might be something out there, some old FLW nugget or something that I can dig into, but you know me, blind hogs and acorns, man. I always go looking for them. Uh, well, with that, we're looking into this upcoming weekend, a few of the events that we got on the calendar here. 
Uh, starting in a few days here, the Bassmaster Central opens anglers. They'll be out on Toledo Bend. The Alabama Bass Trail North Division, those anglers will be out on Neely Henry. The MLF BFL Gator Division will be fishing on the Harris Chain. The Angler's Choice Team Tournament Trail, the Virginia Division, will be fishing Kerr Lake. And the last one I got on the list here is the Alabama Bass Nation. Those anglers will be out on Lay Lake. And then for a more comprehensive schedule of upcoming events, make sure you visit the calendar section on anglerschannel.com. And then just a few news and notes for this week here. I know that since the fishing's been hot and heavy, um, the news for the most part has, hasn't been as, or has, there hasn't been as much news. But um, but since we're talking about the uh, the Murray event with the Bass Pro Tour and everything, uh, and with the upcoming Elite Series on the uh, on the on Lake Murray here. Uh, one news, uh, one noteworthy news was that uh, I guess, and this is what maybe the third event in a row. Uh, it almost was going to be fourth if you include the classic, but Keith Poche, who fishes both the Elite Series and the Bass Pro Tour, will not be fishing this upcoming Elite Series event on Murray because he was in violation of the 28-day off-limits rule that the Elite Series anglers must follow by fishing that Bass Pro Tour event. So just for those that are Keith Poche fans, just make sure that you don't have him on your fantasy team or be looking out for him on the water because he will not be there. Uh, yeah, David, I had somebody reach out to me about that. And in Keith's defense, that was not a underhanded, sneaky thing or that kind no. of DQ. That was something he knew yep. at the beginning of the season. He made a calculated risk and, and chose what he was going to do. And, and he knew going in. So yep. um, I had somebody text me and they're like, dude, did you hear this? And I'm like, yeah, it's it, that was out there a long time ago. There, there's there's no there there, right? Yep. So yep. um that's just a, a conflict of trying to do everything. And, yeah. um, you know, there that would have been a good event for him to be at fishing up shallow. So they're probably lucky he's not there. And it would have been the same way if he would have, let's just say if the, the events were flip-flop gate-wise. So if the, if the Elite Series would have been fishing on um, – uh, Murray first and then uh, yep. Bass Pro Tour afterwards. Now, I don't know if you would have been disqualified. I don't know what the exact wording, the the uh, the, the terminology that would have been used, or because uh, I know that from what I've heard, there's like a fine thing too with when it comes to uh, the Bass Pro Tour side if you qualify and stuff like that. So, there, which right. is why, which is why um, Keith couldn't qua- come to practice for the classic event on the Tennessee river, even though he was just up the road because he had to, he had obligations to fish the bass pro tour. So, you know, similar, similar, but different, but I guess same concept, more or less in, in the fact that he wouldn't have been able to fish Murray if the elite series was first and then bass pro tour uh, fished her second, because of the fact that um, it would have been a violation of some rule on the other side as well. So hey, um, coming off a win at Cherokee and uh, being <laughs> double boy at the classic, I'm sure a week off, he's probably not too mad about it. He's probably got some things to catch up on anyways. And he sounds like he's a simple guy, so it, as long as he's fishing, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so he's probably still fishing this week. You're right. He's probably fishing and catching him, just not for a tournament organization. So no. uh, go Keith. I'll root for that guy anytime. <laughs> well, he's one of your guys, the tin boat guy. So. <laughs> yeah, you know me. Keep it simple, stupid, the kiss method. <laughs> All right. Second on my news and notes here, we kind of touched about some of this stuff, but uh, officially from Bass here, the uh, some records uh, that were set during the Bassmaster Classic. Uh, uh, first thing up here was uh, they reached a, a total of four and a half million viewers across 
two days of coverage on Fox and FS1 coverage. Uh, I know that they did have the Super 6 air on FS1 a few hours after the actual uh, after yeah the actual super six or the final day of the classic finished up on on that sunday so that was one of the first uh um what was it guess records or new noteworthy mm-hmm. news from that event there uh second one obviously if you don't know um with gussie winning it he was the first canadian to win the classic and the second international angler after takahiro omori to take the um classic trophy there and then the last thing i know we talked about this a few weeks ago was there was a total attendance of 163,914 people across all the different aspects or parts of the classic so that includes the thursday kickoff event uh what was it takeoffs weigh-ins expo so that's a good amount there i don't think that um it's gonna be broken at least next year unless for some reason um Tulsa shows out big, big time, but uh, not that it doesn't. But um, uh, but then again, it's been a while since uh, there's been a classic at Tulsa. So maybe after eight or so years, maybe the the crowds have, uh, are going to uh, be waiting in line big time for that. But I personally don't think it's going to happen there. But who knows? But again, uh, congratulations to um, Knoxville for making that before, I guess, setting a whole bunch of records on the Bassmaster Classic side there. Yeah, great location, great driving distance. You know, I had people coming from my area, driving down, things like mm-hmm. that. It just geographically, it made a lot of sense. They had a good time, yeah. and I was thrilled. You know, I'm always suspect of the numbers, right? You know me, I'm jaded, <laughs> and, and I'm always a skeptic of everything. But sure. regardless, they were strong. Um, yeah. Record-breaking, okay, I buy it. And I think it's more a testament to state of the industry, right? We're coming off that COVID bump. We've gotten more people involved in fishing Yep. More people probably think it's cool. And I think it's, you know, it's up to the leagues to keep those people engaged with some of the stuff that we do. And, and yep. I'm glad to see it. I thought it was a great show. Um, you know, my only critique would be they need more food trucks at Knoxville. For the next, <laughs> for, you know, and dude, don't get me wrong. That's a small critique for the dog and pony show they put on to uh, have to wait in long lines for tacos. That's a small yeah. problem. So props to Bass <laughs> and their whole staff and, um, I just, I wouldn't be being me, David, if I didn't find something to pick at a little bit. So <laughs> well, nothing, nothing's ever perfect, but yeah, everyone's got their own little quirks that they look for. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't even get a chance to even go, go wait in line. I was just bouncing all over the place. And by the time I knew I had to bounce over to the media room. So I didn't get a chance to either enjoy or not enjoy the, the food truck options. Hey, I, I waited in line so. for my taco. I waited in line for my tacos long enough for both of us. So you know, I was, I'm still the new guy and I didn't have as full a schedule as you, my man. So I, I had time for tacos and it took a hell of a lot longer than I expected. But, you know, if the only thing I've got to complain about is that, then they did a great job. And, and I think they did. Uh, the anglers showed out. The, the organization did a great job. City did a great job. And looking forward to Tulsa next year. I think yep. that'll be a, a little different flavor and a little yep. different style of fishing. So I think that's cool. We were talking before the call, changes in latitude, changes in attitude, right? And yep. we're moving north a couple of clicks. And yep. that's an early event to, to move up to that latitude. So yep. um, we could have a we could have a cold one. We'll see. I, I know that uh South Carolina was up there too. It wasn't expected, but um I don't know with the with the with the change to March versus February, that's been less likely, but you never know. 
I know that the South area has been uh, a few weeks ago was still getting hammered. Or oh, before even the classic, uh, there was a lot of good uh, cold weather uh, swooping down south. So it, it possibly could, you never know what could happen, but it could possibly be. But fingers crossed, it's not the case next year because you know again, I, I, I coming from up north, I, I don't want to come in and, and still be dealing with the same weather down south. So <laughs> hey, I'm here for the fish. I'm there for the fish, and I can say with confidence that it will probably outperform my local river. Uh, when, when we fished it in Louisville and we fished it in Pittsburgh, we still had winners, right? We've never had sure. a classic where no one caught a fish and we had to give all the money back. Yeah. So I'm sure this one won't be any different. I'm sure Grand Lake will show out and it'll be some impressive catches. I'm looking forward to it. And since you talked about latitude earlier, I guess I'll end it with this one with the notes just because you're talking about going up north and latitude and stuff like that. But the last thing I got here is just um, Minn Kota uh, end up end up picking up the sponsorship for the St. Lawrence Bassmaster Elite event there. So mm -hmm. again, uh, makes a lot of sense because a lot of people will be using the spot lock feature uh, on some of those smallmouth up there. So uh, I think, think that is the final event of the Elite Series event this oh it's a calendar this year too. So. Um, other than that, that's pretty much it that I got for news for this week here. But uh, I do got one last thing to hopefully end the show on here with Danny here. And um, since we've been talking about Murray with the, uh, the upcoming event for the Elite Series and with Anthony Gagliardi winning on uh, Murray, uh, I didn't get a chance to pay uh, to the whole entire event, but I did get to watch a bit here and there of the Bass Pro Tour event uh, on Murray there. And um as the weather, especially in my neck of the woods, it's going to happen probably pretty quick if the trend stays more or less the same. But uh, there was a lot of bed fishing involved with the Murray event. And mm -hmm. my question to you, especially as as a whether not just as, a, as an angler, but as a fan of the sport. So when you're watching some of this coverage, um, do you find that bed fishing events are something that's enjoyable for you as as a fan of the sport to watch? I'm a little conflicted on it, man, because I've got a conservationist soul, mm -hmm. right? And um, I will say that I prefer to watch the MLF guys crack on them in a bed fishing tournament because sure. they're dropping them right over the side and there's a good chance they can go right back and go about their business. So I like that. Okay. Um, as far as a viewer, yeah, I like it. I mean, I caught some of the MLF event and I got to see some really cool shots where it looked like the cameraman had probably gotten in some advantageous positions sure. to to film some good bites that we're not going to see otherwise. Yeah. Um, now, if I lived on Lake Murray uh, and next week, you know, if we see some bass guys showing up and we see angry dock owners and that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, I, I hate to see that because, you know, they're dropping them in their box. Yeah. Now, I firmly believe that with tournament conditions and the way we care for our fish and the quality of conservation efforts behind the scenes at tournaments, I don't think we're killing a lot of them. We're just disrupting them, right? And so yeah. the, the purest conservation in me says, let's leave them alone. Mm -hmm. um, but as a fan of the sport, I mean, they're, they're going to be spawning around me soon, and I'm going to go out and try to catch every one of them I can, right? Because they're yeah. going to be shallow, and I can see them, and I, I find it exciting. So the angler in me loves it because it's some of the funnest stuff. The conservation in, in, conservationist in me says MLF's probably doing it better. Sure. So I'll, I will absolutely throw them the bone on that. Uh, you know, the one thing I wondered, and I didn't see it, but I wondered how many guys in the MLF event caught, the same fish? One, yes, caught one, dropped it back, and had an opportunity to revisit it somewhere in the event and recycled it. Hmm. And I'm not sure that it even matters, 
but I would love to see the stat. Sure. Right. Because if somebody locates a four or five pounder and they're able to score it twice, not saying, you know, consecutively or whatever, but if that mm -hmm. same fish helped them a couple of times, does that alter the outcome? I, I don't know. Just spitballing here on that part. No, I know that that was, you know, especially uh, with the previous format uh, of every, every scoreable fish counts. Uh, right. That was something that, uh, I could see happen a lot more, especially because, so with me, I, I, with my area here, our spawning window can be pretty short and pretty quick, depending where you go and depending how spring plays into that. So like, uh, and I think I may have shared this with you, uh, off, off here at one point, but like, um, I like, like, for instance, I'll, I'll throw like last year. So last year, um, you know, we had a, a, a relatively warm early or I guess later part of the winter. So a lot of the, the ice was on the lakes was gone, but then we got hit with a, a, a cooler. I mean, it was a super cold, but it wasn't like it was in the thirties and forties, uh, you know, so it wasn't enough to freeze the lakes or anything like that, but you know, it kept up the, the air temps and the, the temperatures in general, kept everything a little bit cooler, uh, throughout the month of April. And so, um, Spawning for the most part, and I guess you could say uh, if there's such a thing as a normal uh, time of year in a normal season or whatever the case may be, typically is maybe a May, you know, May's a, a pretty high, maybe the hot period, I guess, in most situations. But mm -hmm. um, but even last year, uh, because of that, like I said, because everything warmed up a lot quicker, so ice is gone and everything, and then um, we got hit with that cold front. And then once May started coming around, like mid-May, all of a sudden it got really warm real quick and things progressed real quick. Uh, I remember I, I fished one lake one weekend and you know, everything was still a bit pre-spawn. And then uh, I came about like maybe two weeks, I mean, a week later and, you know, they were on, they were, there was a lot of empty beds and I'm like, man, did it happen that quick? So again, I'm not out there every single day uh, and, you know, different bodies of water, different things too. But um, so for me, seeing, you know, that, that, that opportunity to work a bass on the beds is very, it can be very short. Now, mm -hmm. smallmouth, smallmouth is a bit different. So like, if you, if you, I'm not saying I'm a, a smallmouth expert, but I feel that like, um, what was it? A smallmouth might be easier for, to at least when it, they're definitely that taking that aggressive nature. Uh, it's mm -hmm. easier to get them to bite a lot easier, whether, especially the males. But going back to answering that question with what, um, uh, what was it with that whole rescoring or recounting the same bass over and over? Uh, I could definitely see it with um, males. Mm -hmm. But then again, those, those aren't going to help you in most cases. I mean, not saying that you can't get a good quality male, but if you're right. catching a two pounder and everything and everyone's catching, you, you need at least a three or four pound average to hopefully make the cut. You know, it's, uh, I guess you keep doing it over and over just to kind of get that male to kind of take, to get you your five, <laughs> quote unquote, five fish limit. But right. Yeah. I mean, I, I could be wrong. Maybe, and I don't know. I, I don't have, like, listen, the reason I brought all the history into it was I, don't, I personally don't know how, how, much a female a, a sizable female is going to bite again if you end up hooking her just a few days ago um you know even though it's on a bed and the, you know because we know that sometimes their mood changes well, i guess they're the females when they're on the beds are probably the moodiest ones so right and i don't know either i mean it, it's all speculation at this point i can say that as a as a young bank beater pond fisherman type thing mm -hmm. Um, as a boy, there were times that I'd find a big one on a bed and I would go and I'd catch her a few times because okay. it's a big one. It's a big yeah. one now, not real world to what they're doing on something the size of Murray, right? It's, it's one dominant fish that's set up a spot in a small pond and all that. And, and I know it can be done because I've done it and I'm not an exceptional mm -hmm. angler. Um, 
And it may be a deal with those guys. They catch one and they can move to another one because of the, the fishing, you know, the, the fish are so prolific in the lake. Maybe there's no sure. reason to even backtrack. In yeah. the little ponds that I fished as a kid, there's only one four pounder. And so I want to catch yeah. it as many times as I can. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know the answer there, but I did give that some thought lately. You know, your question was about, do I like it as a fisherman? I love it. Uh, I don't know if it's the best thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and a, a respected biologist was talking a little bit about bass spawning rituals. And he talked about the fact that for the most part, um, it's not a one and done deal. Like a female doesn't pull up and drop a hundred percent of her eggs in one bed and she's mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Right. And that makes sense from a natural selection standpoint, evolutionary standpoint. Um, that's literally all your eggs in one basket. Right. And sure. a, a, according to him, they'll come up, they'll, they'll put some up early. They'll find a different suitable mate. They'll do a few more, you know, and, and, and in that particular one, he was saying it could be up to four spawns for one mature female to totally empty all of her eggs. Okay. Um, I got some more research to do. I'm a big fan of peer reviewed literature and things like that. And I want to read about it some more. Sure. Uh, but it, it really opened my eyes and it, I guess I had never given it a lot of consideration, but it's the most sensible thing I've heard. Um, otherwise the, you know, if a bass decided to dump hundred percent of them really early, for example, and then one of those cold spells that you talked about came in, then that whole clutch of eggs could be lost. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't think they would, be hardwired to do that. I think it would be a more conservative approach, but I don't know yeah. if it's right or not. I will research that a little more, David, and I will <laughs> geek out on that and we'll pick that up because um, between where I live, where you live, and where our anglers are fishing, yeah. we can talk about this spawn for a good long while still because yeah. it's going to be happening and moving north. Yep. And, and like you mentioned, just to add to that, because I, I could definitely see that window with this whole dropping 100% of the eggs not happening, uh, especially down, down in Florida. You know, you know mm-hmm. those areas where the spawns, depending how the winter starts, it could, yeah, it is, it could start as early as, early as what, November, December and go mm-hmm. all the way. So it's, it's a multiple month, you know, if you say multiple months, more than just one or two months, you're talking right. about maybe, maybe in like a quarter of not maybe three, uh, yeah, quarter of not, you know, a third of the year, depending how right. things play out. So I could definitely see that. It definitely would be uh, interesting to see how that, that uh, theory applies to different parts of the of the of the country as well with with those windows right makes me think about some of those big fat females i've caught with tore up tails and you know her her tails tore up it seems like she's been doing some fanning but she's still fat and she's still got eggs and that was always kind of a head scratcher for me and the the, you know the answer is is well she probably dumped some fan for a bit and then pulled off and went looking for a new boyfriend right so um I don't know. It, it a light bulb clicked for me. I'm not sure what I'm doing with the data yet, but I got a new data feed that I'm going to investigate. Well, you know, like, well, as with a lot of serious anglers, you know, we like to look at whether it's lures, technology, whatever the case may be. Just look at all this stuff that not say it's not it's not it's, it's useless, but whether we end up putting any use of it, make any making any use of it is a different story. But we sure love to take in as much as we can and. <laughs> assumptions right we talked yeah. about that before it's, it, you know, we operate on these assumptions and most of them are bs but yeah. if they make us get up and go try to validate them tomorrow and fish well then i guess they're they've got their place in the world so yeah hey man great show i enjoyed yeah. it with you today right. and uh you got anything else no but i think that's pretty much it the weather's been good so i think it's time for me and you to put this show in the trailer call it yep. a day Yep. I got a little bit of time left. I'm going to get out and enjoy this beautiful evening. (laughs) All right. So again, folks, please rate, review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. 
I want to thank the partners of the show here uh, that make help make uh, us bring this show to you guys here. That's Ranger, Mercury, Hummingbird, Minkota, Striking Blues, Trickstep, Reliant, Dual Pro Charging Systems, TH Marine, Costa Sunglasses, Toyota, Visit Anderson, and Sportsman's Warehouse. So again, make sure you support our, par- our partners. Like I mentioned earlier, um, Make sure you take advantage of that lose promotion, Mad 25 to save 25% custom and custom pro uh, bait cast and spinning reels. So with that, for Danny, we will catch you all in our next episode. Thanks, David. Great show. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast. Brought to you by Under Armour Fish, Costa Sunglasses, Pro Charging Systems, X-Zone Lures, and Trickstep. Visit anglerschannel.com, your number one bass fishing tournament resource.